Today on BASIC, Greg Kinnear. By the time I got to college, cable was just starting to become a thing. And uh, I actually, for a show that talks about basic cable, you'll appreciate this, I actually sold cable television subscriptions during the summer. Great package. I think getting like HBO and Showtime was like a sort of separate deal. You'd go door to door, which is a, that is a cold hard business, man. You have to convince them that some guys are gonna show up and drill a hole inside their house to insert a coaxial cable. It's gonna give them a box and for $30, they're gonna get cable television. They're gonna get it free for six months. If they don't like it, we're gonna take it away and they're gonna pay nothing. And I still got the door slammed in my face. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Basic, the official podcast of the unofficial history of cable television. I'm Doug Herzog, a former TV executive. And Jen, this is as good as it gets. And I'm Jen Cheney, TV critic for Vulture and New York Magazine. And I am hungry for some talk soup. Our guest today made the jump from a low-budget cable show on a fledgling network all the way to feature film stardom. Yeah, in case you couldn't tell from our little hints there, our guest today is Greg Kinnear, who parlayed his role as the wisecracking host of Talk Soup on what was then the very little-known network called E! into an acting career that has spanned both film and television, earning him great respect and also an Academy Award nomination. Hang around after our chat as Jen and I break it all down, Talk Soup style. Greg Kinnear, welcome to Basic. Thanks for coming. Now, we asked most people, you know, about their first experience with cable TV, but uh, according to what we've read on uh, Wiki, you spent a lot of time growing up in Europe. So we're sort of curious about when you first encountered cable. Right. I uh, I did. I grew up, uh, I'm originally from uh, Indiana, a small town, and then was DC for a few years. My dad became a diplomat in um and at some point we went to, uh, in the 70s, went to the Beirut, Lebanon, which was uh, the start of a civil war. Once again, bad Kinnear timing. But, but we got evacuated to, uh, to Greece, uh, which was an incredibly lucky break. I ended up going to high school there, growing up there. So by the time I got to college, I, w- I went to school out in Arizona. And by the time I got out there, cable was just starting to become a thing. And uh, I actually... For a show that talks about basic cable, you'll appreciate this. I actually sold cable television subscriptions in Tucson, Arizona in about uh, 165 degree heat during the summer. Great package. You get all uh, (laughs) HBO, Showtime, and like the 22 other basic cable channels that existed at the time. How many many tiers were there, Greg? Do you remember? Uh, uh, what does that even mean, Doug? I don't know. You, want to, you, want to, you, don't, you don't remember the tiers, the packages, you know, the uh, all these cable companies have different tiers and packages, you know. Yeah, I don't. You know what? It was it was incredibly simplified, actually. There was uh, there there weren't probably wasn't. That yeah, with twenty two, I don't know how many tiers you can create. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You, there was like one tier. You were lucky to have. You know, you were lucky to to uh, to have any tier at this point. It was really just an issue of, you know, trying to have a few channels and get them get them onto the package. I think getting like HBO and Showtime was like a sort of separate deal. But the point is, is that I would go door to door along with these other like twenty kids. We'd all load up in the morning. You'd go door to door, which is a that is a cold, hard business, man. Uh, <laughs> but if they if they would allow you, remember, the house isn't wired for cable at this time. This is before cable. So you have to convince them it's some guys are going to show up and drill a hole inside their house 
to insert a coaxial cable. It's going to give them a box. And for $30, they're going to get cable television. They're going to get it free for six months. If they don't like it, we're going to take it away and they're going to pay nothing. And I still got the door slammed in my face repeated mm. because people were so freaked out about the idea. But uh, but that was my early uh, introduction to what I recall as cable TV. That interview makes you a basic podcast Hall of Famer. Um, <laughs> we've had a lot of we've had a lot of answers to our question about when did you first encounter cable. You're the first person we talked to who actually sold it, and I I would just say if you came to my door, I, I would have bought it from you. I, I was hoping for MVP, but I'll take Hall of Famer, and that's fantastic. Well, as much as I'd like to talk about your cable selling career for this entire podcast, I do want to ask you about some other things, which is, I believe you started out, as you mentioned, in Arizona studying drama, but then you switched to broadcast journalism. And please correct me if any of that's wrong. I'm just wondering, were you, had you decided to completely switch paths and and pursue journalism or were you secretly like, I really want to be an actor, but I'm going to get this degree just because it might be more marketable? I, uh, yeah, I think it was a, the, the latter. I mean, I, I, or former latter, whatever. The second thing it I was, said. Uh, <laughs> it was the one where you were suggesting that I got in there and maybe looked around the landscape. We had a, a drama teacher who came in and said, listen, less than uh, 2% of you will ever make a living being actors. That was the way you opened the class. And I was like, uh, check, please. I mean, that just seems so, you know, crazy. I didn't really have any connections. I didn't know anybody in this world and it just seemed the mythology of it and the distance of to reality of of entertainment seemed so far that uh i don't know broadcast journalism i had was interested in in news <laughs> all you watched in beirut lebanon was uh getting news you know the bbc listening to news reports when that was going down so i i, I don't know i had a real interest in that and maybe thought you know that was a kind of end game into um some sort of broadcasting business, but, you know, through a whole series of other accidents, I found myself on a different road completely. Mm-hmm. And then at some point, one of your first sort of interactions with uh, cables we know today was an MTV VJ audition. My very good friend of mine is dating Justine Bateman, who was on Family Ties at the time. And he calls me and he says, listen, Justine just went to MTV in spring break. I guess it was down in, where would they have had that? Was it Fort Daytona Beach, Florida. There you go. And she came back and I knew Justine through him. And she was like, Greg, you'd be good for this. It'd be fun. So I have to credit Justine to to some degree because she ended up setting up uh, a uh, audition for me with Joe Davola. Was Joe at the channel, I think? Joe, crazy Joe Duvall. Yeah. So he was there and very cool, helped me kind of get through this audition. And I've got my, you know, I'm sitting there on the stairs trying to, you know, uh, ramble on about music. I like music. I have eclectic music interests. I really had no place auditioning for MTV, but I got a nice tape out of it. It looked very official and it said MTV audition. And so when there was a channel starting up before E was E, it was called movie time. And they were looking for some young people to underpay and be hosts on this uh, 24-hour news thing that was kind of be to the movies what MTV was to music. Which right, right. Quite- if, if those who don't remember, which is probably everybody, um, Movie Time ran movie trailers like MTV would run videos, right? Wasn't that pretty yeah. much the program? Uh, that was basically it. And behind the scenes interviews, anything else we could get our hands on for free uh, was was basically the the format. And uh, but, but mostly we were taking up 
satellite space. So it was valuable in the sense that they had a channel and having channel space meant something. You had a piece of real estate there. So when you were hired at Movie Time slash E, were you hired to to host Talk Super? Had that not actually become a concept yet? No, that hadn't. In fact, I worked at, at Movie Time for three years and then uh, and then I, along with all the other hosts, uh, they changed the name, they changed the look, they changed all the hosts, including me. So I got fired. Mm. Uh, so one of the first firings that I had, but I, uh, yeah, they kind of let go of everybody and then they um, turned it into E. And then eventually I went back to E to host Talk Soup. And that was, so I was, it was full circle, man, full circle. And and how did the so how did the talk soup thing come about? Was uh, was it a f- fully formed show when they brought it to no, you? They was... were they wanted they were doing interstitial programming, running kind of was sort of a hybrid. They had some shows, but they also were running just little clips, and they had a little bit of movie time left in them still. And one of the things they would do is they'd run. Um, you know, they'd run like clips of a talk show or uh, of, of, of actually they'd run clips of like soap operas. And so I think they had decided to turn that into a show, uh, which was, man, if you think soap operas are bad, take all of the highlights of soap operas and put them <laughs> into a half hour show. That's bad. <laughs> so meanwhile, there was this other thing where they would run clips of daytime talk shows, which sounded kind of equally bad, but I was out of work. So I said, yeah. And I think the idea, they kind of thought this was going to be a more serious, sober look at uh, Sally, Jesse, Raphael, and whoever uh, else at the time, Richard Bay, was uh, was doing a talk show. And there were thousands of them, it seemed like. And they, um, they basically, uh, we got in and after the first week, nobody knew the, sh- nobody seemed to even know we were on the air, including E. And so we had a sense of freedom and kind of let loose and we just started doing this bonkers weird show that slowly we kind of sensed that we were based on mail and stuff we started to get a bit of an audience and and that was uh that was exciting and uh, before you knew it three years I was there three years and we had a show that was resonating I would come in and we would look at all of the you know, probably I'd probably look at 15 clips. I think maybe 10 would make it into the show and, and we'd make some quick adjustments and, you know, I'd write some stuff and we'd put the thing together in a paper bag and go try and uh, wing it for 30 minutes. And it had kind of a loose sort of a rambling um, off the rails sensibility to it. It was really fun. Pantheon Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. 
with Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. I think it's hard for people to remember and imagine just how low rent cable was yeah. at that point yeah. and, and, and how little money was actually being spent uh, on the programming. Right. Uh, I'm assuming it was just you and a handful of people oh, putting this together every day. That's pretty much it. I mean, literally they would roll out. I was in front of a, I was a chair in front of a green screen with some spoons flying around and there was uh, so we had to light it. The clips were all free because they were all promotional. Oh. We would play the clip and then we would mention tomorrow on Oprah. Actually, not Oprah. She was the only one smart enough not to give us her clips. Tomorrow <laughs> on uh, Jenny Jones, we'd put a little billboard up and that instantly made it promotional, meaning that the, t- the clip that we got was for free. So it was kind of genius in that it was it was virtually a, a, a free show. And yes, very... Very low rent. But around that time, though, you know, I think The Daily Show did. What year was The Daily Show? Daily Show started in 97. 97. Yeah. So I was out. I I did it for 92, 93, 94, that show. And then uh, and I left. But I'm just I was saying that because I, I do remember kind of it around that time. Mid 90s, you started to have other shows that started to come on that seemed to have budgets and you started to see the landscape shifting a little bit to something you know happening out there but when i think when we started in early 90s it was yeah it was pretty bare bones mm-hmm. and was it always supposed to be comedic was that the intention of the universe that's something that evolved no no, no you know, it was not over time? Uh, <laughs> i i was scolded i think at times for uh for some of the uh, tone that we took with it but i don't know i think it, at some point it just became clear that there was you know i don't think there was really any other it, it seemed obvious i mean that there was no other way to uh, you know sort of execute that stuff other than with a raised eyebrow um so that's how we did it. Right. So, I mean, you mentioned that the the clips were considered promotional, so they were free. But to the point you just made, there were times when you were certainly like not saying the most complimentary things about the shows. So did did you, did you guys ever get any blowback from from some of the shows or were they just happy to get screen time? I don't remember ever. In fact, let me rephrase that. I categorically deny ever, <laughs> uh, <laughs> ever having to, I don't remember ever having to like apologize actually to any, any of the, um, 
people who were uh, nice enough to let us have material. I mean, so I guess they, I think they kind of just, I think maybe Geraldo got mad at one point, but I don't remember. I remember something kind of coming up with him a little bit, but I, nobody seemed to be that, that upset about it. And mostly they liked the promotion. So they Mm -hmm. were getting a, you know, it was a nice plug for their show. And I think at the end of the day, they, that, that probably won out over whatever we were doing. And I, and I also thought that the show was kind of, you know, I felt like the attitude and the humor of it was, I didn't think it was always, I didn't think it was mean spirited. Mm -hmm. It was just right. This is, we are at an insane moment in the world where we have this many people talking about the things we were talking about then. Right. It's almost analogous to Beavis and Butthead, right? Where yeah. they would make fun of heavy metal videos, which were sort of the equivalent of some of the talk shows, I think, yeah. uh, <laughs> you were doing. And 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 if you weren't on Beavis and Butthead, you weren't in the conversation, even though they were making fun of you. That's right. So That's right. Probably, probably the same thing applied. I love B&B, and that was right around the same time, too. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And so, was, yeah. I mean, this is slightly different, but it's still people reacting. Mystery Science Theater was was also very much in that spirit, but it was with old silly movies yeah but it all feels like a real like that little era feels like a precursor to what is now on the internet which is just like filled with reaction videos like my son watches reaction videos constantly and that's basically what you guys were building so you're on this show it's starting to get a lot of buzz you're getting a lot of attention this little network's getting a lot of attention you were so funny and so comfortable you know in the host position did you start to feel like maybe this is a path for me and i could be one of those guys or should be one of those guys I just not really. I mean, I honestly, I didn't see the success of that happening. I was grateful for it. And I, it, it, I mean, obviously it it raised, you know, kind of a question of, well, what are you going to do next? And I had some meetings and I remember taking some meetings with different, you know, Fox I spoke to in some places. And it just seemed like the, you know, sort of logical place was something in the talk showy world funny enough and i um so yeah there were some meetings and i I, you know i certainly didn't i i didn't give me a great clarity of what i wanted to do i i didn't because i honestly didn't really see myself you know doing a talk show bob costas was work was doing a later obviously it, it uh you know very very late at night and you know nbc approached me about doing that and i uh, long story short ended up taking that job and we kind of cha- we modified the show they brought in a live audience which i had never come from a stand-up background i hadn't worked in front of that kind of venue before so it was all sort of trial by fire but i um yeah i mean i dipped toe in anyway last did that for about a year and a half um and while i was doing that when i started my talk show i was also doing talk soup the last year of talk soup which was really taken off so i was i would go in the morning and do talk soup and then i'd ride over the hill at burbank and do the talk show and got an opportunity you know sydney pollock was uh, actually saw me on talk soup or i think Lindsay duran a great executive brought him a clip of me and he was casting Sabrina and looking for Harrison Ford's little brother and uh, <laughs> said to Sydney, have you thought of this guy? And Sydney, like millions before him, said, no, I hadn't thought of him. <laughs> but for whatever reason, you know, Sydney is from a small, same small town and uh, not exact same, but up the road in Indiana. 
So uh, I think he was just amazed that there was somebody from a smaller town in Indiana than he was. And I went in and, uh, you know, ended up reading for that movie and ended up getting an opportunity to do that, which kind of spilled me out of the talk show world. Mm. So you're like the hot cable guy and then you're like, you have the late night show and, you know, you're sort of a TV personality. And then the next thing you know, you're sitting on a movie set across from Harrison Ford. Yeah. So tell us, tell us about like that jump and that transition and, and what you were thinking and feeling back in those days. Well, you know, I didn't, I mean, I really didn't feel like the hot cable guy. I mean, I was honestly, I mean, I was like, uh, it, I, that might be an that might be an oxymoron. Well, I was always like surprised <laughs> that like I was surprised when anybody I, I just had we, you felt like we, you know, that and later both were felt very outside the scope of what was the ball of media activity. So, I mean, I always felt slightly peripheral in, in both of those venues. So, yeah, but I mean, the obviously do, going doing that movie was a huge shift and and something, you know, that had to be figured out because I did have the show and I went in and talked to uh, Don Olmeyer, who was running NBC at the time. And, you know, I remember him he'd, sitting there smoking a cigarette, you know, and, uh, you know, white shoes, white golf shoes. He says, so what exactly you want to do? And he takes a big drag. And I said, well, I want to go do this uh, movie. Um, they've offered me a paramount, of uh, called Sabrina. Don takes a little, I'd, I'd have to leave the show or go back and forth for a bit, but I, I sure would like to do it. And he takes a big drag and, you know, puts the, puts the cigarette out in his mashed potatoes from his lunch happy <laughs> and he goes um yeah i guess that's all right you know and i was actually very grateful to him because that was not his reputation you know he's a pretty tough guy and scared the crap out of a lot of people but including me but he was nice enough to let me uh kind of volley back and forth and 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 and, and, and ultimately um six months after that I was I was doing as good as it gets and I had to go back in for another conversation with Don because this we were shooting in both here and New York and it was just impossible to do a talk show and do those that movie schedule and I just said I, I think it was time to make a change and he was nice enough to let me uh, let me go mm. in spite of the enormous enormous success of later that was just killing it in the race. <laughs> they let me go. I, well, I was going to ask you if it was at all a barrier to getting acting parts to come from like a, a hosting background, but it doesn't sound like it was. It sounds like you got as good as it gets like very shortly after Sabrina. Well, it sure was in my head. I mean, I, I think something was happening. There was a current maybe of something changing that I wasn't aware of. I mean, in my mind, I was like, well, there's no way I can't you can't shift. I mean, the idea you do this, then you, if you want to do this, you do that. I mean, like those obviously all of those lines were not blurred uh, in the slightest. They were it was very clear rules. We all know. And uh, and and. And the fact that, you know, the only one who had a big hang up about it, I think, was me. Certainly Jim Brooks did, and he was cool with it. And Don, you know, even the people at NBC when I was doing the movie, they seemed all right with it. So something was changing then, I guess. But and and now, obviously, you can. Well, no, no. Yeah. For, the, for, for people who don't remember, it was really a thing back then, right? Like you're either a TV person or a movie person. It didn't really cross over a lot 
back in those days. Well, I would even I would even break it down more and say you were either a talk show person in TV or you were an actor person in TV or you were an actor person in movies. <laughs> you know, it was kind of like and they were very clear categories. And once you were put in that file folder, that's where you live. Right. right. And 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 there was a, a snobbery, for lack of a better word about it, where a film actor is up here, a TV actor is down here. And that just doesn't exist anymore at all. Totally. Totally. You can bet. Right. No, no self-respecting A-list film actor would ever do anything that, you know, was, quote, television. Right. Um, in those days. No. Uh, and then HBO and started you, watch, to break you know, you watch like a guy, you know, from a Marvel movie doing a Stucky's commercial and you're like, <laughs> what's going on here, man? But people just don't really care. And uh, uh, better for the audience, you know, I mean, the audience decides this stuff, right? Whenever we try to decide it, it's all wrong. The audience decides this. And at some point, the audience said, I don't really give a shit. Mm-hmm. Right, right. We'll have to bleep that out for our. No, we won't. Prime. We're allowed to curse on here, right? I've been doing it for like many episodes. Yeah, we know. <laughs> so as good as it gets. So that, I mean, that's was a momentous thing for you. What do you remember about that experience? And the fact that it ended up, you know, taking you to the Oscar ceremony. I remember loving the script and I met uh, Jim Brooks and I loved him and his energy and just creatively, I, you know, was such an incredible gift. Obviously, I is just a ridiculous fan of, of Jack's and uh, from Cuckoo's Nest and I don't know, a bunch of particular things shining five easy pieces movies for me anyway chinatown obviously so the idea of 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 getting to play opposite him in what i knew was going to be i just knew he's going to be unbelievable in this you know i knew that 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 him as melvin udall was going to be just uh, such a rock show and to just have a front row seat was going to be terrific but it was yeah it was really great everybody was uh was a wonderful cast and we were under great leadership and uh you know the tristar at the time was the studio was very supportive of it and they uh it was a long shoot but um but it was great Hmm. i have to think the first time you walk on set and you're doing a scene opposite jack nicholson that that's a little bit daunting no matter how much experience or how good of an actor you are uh do you remember your first scene with him i I remember my first scene with Harrison Ford. I don't remember my oh. first scene with Jack Nicholson. Okay, tell that story. You said you don't remember Jack. Did you like pass out or something? Or yeah, maybe I did. <laughs> I don't remember. I honestly don't remember. I just don't remember what we shot first on that. But uh, but on yeah, I think on Sabrina it was I am heading out of the house and I've got my tennis racket and uh, I'm kind of this is kind of ne'er do well kid brother of Harrison's and we have a little we had a little scene where I can't remember what day of the week it is and I was like yeah. That seemed to go okay, and he, you know, he was, he was great. And but I, yes, I may have been hyperventilating on uh, on the thing with Jack, and just couldn't tell you what it was. But, uh, <laughs> every scene in it was fun to do. So he seems so intimidating to me, even as a fan. Yeah. He's like, you know, he's like one of those stars. I'm not even sure I would have the balls to try and shake his hand if I saw him, you know, on the street or something. Uh, I can't even imagine what it, what, what it must be like to read lines with him. Well, we played golf a few times. I like golf and, and he liked golf. So we did that a few times and that helped kind of take some of it takes a, actually a hell, like 
damn, I wish I'd played golf. If I'm just going through the Rolodex. A lot of people over the years would have been helped with that, you know, because it does, uh, when you see somebody go out and hack around in the course, it does kind of level the playing field a little bit, <laughs> humbles us all. Did you ever, did you ever play golf with, uh, with Olmeyer? He was a big golfer. Yeah, I never did. No. And that would have been useful. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that, that was his. Round. That was that was Damn. his office, the golf course. I, I could have used that round. Uh, no, I I did not. But uh, at any rate, yes. By the time I got there, I I remember feeling pretty comfortable. We did a lot of rehearsal. It was you know we had a lot of rehearsal for that movie, so it wasn't like we just showed up. I think there was a week, maybe two weeks of that. So by the time we were there, it was it was uh, there was some comfort level. Just out of curiosity, what about the, like the lifestyle of sort of acting in movies versus, you know, how you started, which was doing sort of TV every day. Two very different, right? You know, TV world, you, you're sort of in it every day, all the time. It's almost like uh, being a baseball player, right? It's like 162 games a year kind of thing. Is that uh, is, is is there a lifestyle choice for you? Yeah, I mean, it is a, uh, yeah, that, that idea that uh, you're headed towards that you know, blinking light that was hitting in the afternoon uh, at four o'clock or whatever every day. And, and you know, just going back there. I mean, I did you know, definitely got a taste of it. And from what I remember, it was kind of excitement mixed with dread every day because after as soon as you have a good show, you're like, oh, God, this is coming at me again tomorrow. Maybe it'll be a bad show. And, you know, I guess the as an actor, you're sort of uh, it's it's fits and starts. And, you know, whether you're shooting or not shooting, it's it's, you know, work on this in the morning and then see you tomorrow in the afternoon. And it, it depends what you're doing, obviously. But uh, but it definitely has uh, a different I mean, it's, it's, they're day and night, they're completely, vastly different energies, different jobs, different skill set. And obviously you've been in many films, but you've recently done some pretty high profile TV projects, uh, Blackbird on, on Apple and Shining Vale, which I think has been renewed for a second season. Um, yeah, we're just starting. Oh, you are. Great. Mm -hmm. But there, you know, there was a point where it felt like everybody was getting a Netflix deal. It was like Oprah handing out cars. Yeah. And now it feels like we're in a moment where things are starting to constrict a little bit more and shows are getting canceled and, you know, different streamers are trying to kind of wrestle with how to do things more economically modest, I guess. So I'm just wondering as an actor, like, is that something that you're feeling or sensing or not so much? I mean, like I, I've been, thankfully been pretty busy the last couple of years, but I mean, yeah, I mean, like I think for what you're saying is true. It's undeniably true that, that, you know, we've kind of reached a point where everybody kind of recognized that, my gosh, how, how, how is this going to keep up? I mean, this just, you know, these valuations on these streaming companies is so high that there was just kind of a, a I guess, a looseness to, you know, what they were doing and how much of what they were doing. So, you know, economics and the audience uh, are going to change that. And, you know, fortunately, I do think there's still a pretty high demand for both scripted and non-scripted content. And I think it's, uh, I thought that, you know, I still think that the you know, the playing field is being sort of uh, changed. And I remember five years ago, people were like, okay, this is all going to come down to thank you. And then I'm kind of like, here we are five years later. And I, and I still kind of scratching my head a little bit of, of who the, um, 
I mean, right now, yeah, I mean, it does seem clear who the uh, who the major players are, but I still feel like some of this is being invented as we speak. Mm -hmm. And I still feel like five years from now, I think we could all be surprised by uh, what the landscape looks like. You're such a great actor uh, and and also clearly a great host. Is that a you ever look back on those days and is that like an itch you ever want to scratch again? You know, you're I've heard you being interviewed and I've heard you on podcasts and you're and of course the shows you used to host and, you know, you're so quick and funny and a great ad libber. You ever get the desire to do something like that again? I'm sensing this is a job offer. Am I, am I reading the I, room I'm wrong? being fired. You're the new co-host of Basic. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. We need a, we need a Doc Severinsen type. <laughs> Always. Always need a doc. Yeah, I know. I, I I don't know. Yeah, maybe, maybe some at some point. I I guess I try to stay open to. I certainly. I mean, like, listed. I've done kind of d- dipped the toe in a lot of different pools over the years, and I'm I'm really grateful for it. I really am. It's been experientially really interesting. Always, you know, even things that I was uncomfortable getting into and you know suddenly you have a live audience or things like that i i did you know my first broadway show this year which unfortunately got stopped due to uh our friend uncle covid but uh shut us down but but you know i'm you know i try to try to uh try different things and and certainly that world of non-scripted conversation i mean i i'm open to everything but uh I don't know. We'll see. Aside from the low paycheck, when you look back on your days at Talk Super, is there anything you miss? Yeah. Um, anything I miss from that, I guess? Um, yeah, listen, I mean, you're you're raising the question of, Doug was saying, you know, well, what about the idea of a day-to-day thing where you go in? I mean, I there's a certain, you feed off of that. There is an energy to that that's fantastic and fun and energizing. And I would dare to use the word addictive. I mean, it is a buzz that you get off of, off of a open and sh- closed ended endeavor, you know, whether it's uh, 10 minutes or 60 minutes or 30 minutes, that's really, you know, really fantastic. And I, I think that sort of regularity of doing that can be a great kind of inspired thing. It also slowly kills you, but <laughs> uh, who, who, it's a grind. It is, there is a grind quality to it, but it pays out in other ways that are quite nice, you know, in terms of the experience. The energy you're describing and also just the grind you're describing reminds me a lot of working in a newsroom, which is funny since, you know, you started out maybe going into journalism and in a way you oh. got that experience and very wisely got the hell out of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but same thing. Feeds on, there's yeah. a feed to it that's kind of great. And, um, it, you know, maybe that I missed my calling. We got one last question for you, Greg, before we uh, let you go back to uh, rolling blackouts, which is a question we ask all our guests. Other than your own vaunted cable show, Talk Soup, do you have a favorite all-time basic cable program? I liked pop-up video on VH1. (laughs) That's a great answer. (laughs) Great answer. Great answer. I I really liked that show, and I liked it. uh, I remember when it came on. And I was like, what sort of stupid nonsense? And then I just was uh, hooked, uh, watching all sorts of uh, mindless trivia pop up about various, you know, whatever act was on. That's a that's a great one. We appreciate you mentioning that. That has not uh, not been mentioned to date. I miss pop up video. It was it was educational. It was. Yeah. And Sue, Sue, 
super fun to watch. I guess more importantly, did anybody pick Talk Soup as their favorite <laughs> yet thus far? I don't think yet. I don't. I don't think yet. They, but we'll, we could start seeding that for you. Sensing crickets and awkward. No, it'll right happen. It'll so happen. let's just back out of that question. <laughs> yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> well, right. Greg Kinnear, you have been at the top of our list since we decided to do the show. Uh, we know you made a great effort to be here today, and we really appreciate that. You are a true cable pioneer, <laughs> uh, and you are you are you are one of the first guys to make it out and make it big and uh you will always be remembered for that and and now a, a basic podcast hall of famer as we mentioned uh, uh at the top. Um, <laughs> it was great to see you i could be knocking on your door any hour in order to sell you uh sell you a cable subscription so listen for the sound of <laughs> <me>. <laughs> So it was really cool to get to talk to Greg Kinnear. And it's interesting, we were talking with him about, you know, going from Talk Soup to then eventually being in these high profile movies, uh, you know, with people like Harrison Ford and Jack Nicholson and Helen Hunt and the list goes on. And we talked a little bit about how that was really, for lack of a better word, kind of unprecedented at the time. Like people didn't, you know, it was it was a big deal to jump from TV to movies. And you certainly didn't jump back from movies to TV, but now that those distinctions just are more blurred, blurred, if not meaningless at this point. But also, uh, honestly, even to think back then when it never happened, not only was he a TV person, he was a TV host. He wasn't even a TV actor. It wasn't even like he was the star of a network drama or sitcom. He was sitting behind a desk, you know, kind of telling jokes and doing interviews. And then the next thing you know, he's on a major feature film and then within 10 minutes he's nominated for academy award Mm -hmm. yeah i mean that's that's a really remarkable trajectory especially in such a short period of time but i mean you know we've had some other guests on here who who made kind of similar leaps like ben stiller obviously starting out as a sketch comedy person on on cable and and network and then fairly quickly starting to direct major motion pictures so he's another example of, of somebody who kind of brian cranston tv actor turned feature film actor. Um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 commonplace mm-hmm. now. And uh, and streaming has sort of clearly blurred the whole thing. So, I, you know, I don't know that there's any distinction, you know. And, and as Greg says, you know, I thought rightly so, the audience gets to decide. Right. And I, I think it speaks to the importance of basic cable because it was a platform for people to kind of establish themselves in the same way that now you can conceivably become famous from being on YouTube or TikTok and parlay that into something bigger. Cable was kind of where you went to maybe do that at the time because there was no internet. It, it was a stepping stone. I mean, you know, we always felt back in the days at you know, MTV and Comedy Central that we couldn't hold on to the big stars. We couldn't afford them once they got really popular and they were going to ultimately move on to something else. And this was going to be a stepping stone. I did think of another example mm. around the same time of somebody who jumped from basic cable to feature films. Okay. Pauly Shore. Oh my God, that is weird. I was literally just thinking about Pauly Shore, but not for that reason. So you read my mind. <laughs> wait, what, what, wait, wait, what reason? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> for some reason, I just was thinking about something you said made me think about Pauly Shore being a personality on MTV. And, but I, yeah. I forgot that he also then went into movies. Pauly, Pauly Shore made like five feature films. Yes. Like big. You know, like real studio movies that I think, and a couple that made real money. Yes, I walked out yeah. of Son-in-Law. I remember. <laughs> You're old enough to remember. <laughs> I walked out of a free screening of Son-in-Law. <laughs> <laughs> life was very, life was good. 
Life was good. Yeah, yeah. it really was. But no, I mean, it's, it's true that for any reason we need to justify why we're doing a podcast at this point about basic cable, that's one of the reasons because it was – it was really a, a jumping off point for so many people who went on to do, you know, really big and the great things. The list goes on. The list goes on. And hopefully uh, you will continue with us as we go on on the basic podcast. Jen and I uh, loved having you here. Hope you enjoyed Greg Kinnear. And we look forward to uh, checking in with you next time. Bye. Basic is a Pantheon Media production in partnership with Sirius XM. Hosted by Jen Chaney. And Doug Herzog. Produced by Christian Swain and Peter Ferrioli. Lindley Ehrlich is our assistant producer. Mixed, mastered, and music by Jerry Danielson. Edited by Zach Spisner. You can find Basic on Apple Podcasts, the SiriusXM app, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. If you like the show, please rate, review, and share so other people can find us. Don't, Don't forget, forget to follow, follow the show so you, you never, never miss an episode. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.